With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and pleased to bring in Husker Online intern Grace Harmon here for the mailbag. Grace, um, I know not a lot going on for National Signing Day from the Nebraska end, but still some questions. What do you have to lead us off with? All right. Well, what junior college player do you see having the most immediate impact next year? I'm going to there, – there's a lot of JUCOs in this class, but I think Omar Manning is probably the, the easy one for me on offense. Uh, just looking how poor the position played last year at receiver for Nebraska. They lacked big body receivers. You heard Scott Frost on our interview here on Rivals.com uh, talking about Xavier Betts. Um, just how poor they were on the perimeter. Well, Omar Manning instantly upgrades that. So that's my guy from the Juco ranks. Yeah, I mean, Omar Manning's the obvious choice there. He's brought here for a reason. Um, and as Scott Frost said, he changes the look of Nebraska's offense because they just don't have another receiver with his skill set and his size. And uh, I think that there's probably not a better answer for that question than Omar Manning. Yeah, Manning's the guy. Uh, I would probably defensively look at Etava Malga. Uh, at the inside linebacker position, I think he's somebody who is super productive in junior college, um, and maybe adds uh, you know a, a different element of athleticism to that inside linebacker position that they've kind of been missing. Uh, so I think uh, defensively, that's that's the guy I'm looking at. All right. So what are your thoughts on earlier this week, D'Antonio stepping down from Michigan State? You know, big storyline. I, I think if you read the tea leaves, it felt like the end was near for Mark D'Antonio. Um, but you know, with the early signing day and how fast that comes with the bowl game and other things that happen, um, I don't know. Maybe he, he kept thinking about it and thinking about it and then made the decision here this past week. To me, Luke Fickle's the no-brainer. I know Pat Narduzzi gets a lot of run, uh, but it, I think the similarities, if they go Luke Fickle or Erie, how close it is to Mark D'Antonio. Mark D'Antonio was a former Ohio State D coordinator, just like Luke Fickle. They both went to Cincinnati for their first head coach jobs. Uh, they go to Cincinnati guy to be a Michigan State guy again. So that's where I go. I know Narduzzi's the other popular choice out there right now. I know a lot of people are wondering, you know, why the timing of it. And <laughs> there's uh, 4.3 million reasons why uh, D'Antonio waited as long as he did to make that decision. Because I think it was January something, 15th or 20th. I can't remember. But The retention bonus. Yeah, basically if he, if he stayed as the head coach through that date, he was going to get $4.3 million. And so he said, I'll take that money and uh, good luck, guys. See you later. Good luck with those sanctions. And so, yeah, as far as the successor, um, Narduzzi is the immediate obvious answer because just because of his connections, but I'm with you, Sean. I think Luke Fickle's a no-brainer. Uh, that dude did not get nearly enough run um, in the last coaching cycle um, round of it, and I think that he's well-deserving, and that would put Cincinnati next year coming to Lincoln in a much different place uh, than they would be otherwise. Yeah, I, I look at this whole deal, and, and I agree the writing has kind of been on the wall uh, for a while now. I mean, they've been dealing with a bunch of different things as a football program, as an athletic, um, you know, department as a whole there. But yeah, whoever put in that retention bonus clause in his <laughs> contract, 
if it was Michigan State, they they probably need to be fired. Or if it was his agent, um, you know, I, I think there's probably some people looking to uh, to to get new representation because that's the sole reason why he waited so long. I think it was January 15th. Plus, I think he he gets to be um, he gets to stay on for like two two hundred thousand dollars a year for the next two years to be just be around the program or something like that. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's why he waited so long. And hopefully he put that, that bonus when he got it all on Tesla stock and, yeah. and just cashed out this week on a bunch of Tesla stock as he could have probably tripled the money there over that period. <laughs> what do you got next? All right, so if you had to predict who has the first and second most rushing attempts next season. Well, Diedrich Mills, number one. I, I think after that, you could either say quarterback or one of the running backs, and that's that's the debate that we really don't know. I mean, Marvin Scott, to me, is going to get a great look. Obviously, whoever the starting quarterback is, I think, will be in that conversation as well. But you would have to think it's Mills right now. Then after that, it's really wide open. Yeah, and I think one thing, um, Wandale Robinson probably won't be in that equation because they want to cut down on the number of his carries. I know he was right up there. Uh, among the team leaders last season and I don't think that's going to be the case again uh, they want to use him more as a receiver and maybe a, a complementary role uh, in the run game and so that's going to open the door wide open uh, for some of those newcomer running backs and yeah I think uh, Scott just from the way he's put together uh, makes him kind of a unique piece in that running back rotation to where uh, you know he's going to have a lot of opportunity especially in short yardage situations. Yeah I totally agree on Wandell Robinson uh, not getting nearly enough uh, carries to be the second leading rusher or as far as attempts go but I, yeah I think it's a toss-up between Marvin Scott and Savion Morrison and, and probably lead more towards Scott right now just because he's uh, he's going to be physically ready from the minute he gets on campus. All right what is one question you want fully answered by the time spring ball ends? Um, this was a good question this week we got and I guess I'd, I'd stay on the offensive line. Is Bryce Benhart really good enough to kind of move everything around and, and truly move Matt Farniak to guard? I mean, they've been talking about Matt Farniak playing guard since Billy Devaney tried to make that move on Mike Cavanaugh um, over the bye week before the Purdue game um, in 2017. And it, it Farniak wasn't ready then. Is he ready now in 2020 to play guard? It's probably where he'll get his look at in the next level if he goes in the NFL in some capacity. Um, so – Will Ben Hart be ready? That, that's, that's what I want to know. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that I obviously would like answers to, but I just don't think we're going to get an answer at the end of spring. And even on through fall camp, um, you know, just with some of the big uh, questions right now. And so I think one thing that we can at least get a good sense of is, um, you know, what Lubick looks like as the offensive coordinator and what that, that, that dynamic. The communication. Yeah, looks like and just kind of the players' reactions to that new voice as the offensive coordinator and how those two play off each other between Lubick and Frost uh, and just what types of changes that makes uh, within how the message is delivered offensively. Yeah, I'm with you, Robin. I don't think that we're going to get a ton of answers coming out of spring, but one area that I'm really looking looking forward to learning more about is the defensive line. They lost all the starters up front. Uh, so to me, it's going to be important for, for some guys to really emerge as, as not just, um, you know, the new starters, but guys that can play at, at a level, um, at least, you know, a comparable level, level to what we've seen at the position over the last year or two. All right, we got time for about two more quick ones, Grace. All right, so does Travis Vokalek have a legitimate uh, chance to take Jack Stoll's job? Um. Yeah, I, I just think Jack Stoll has meant so much to the program. I don't know if we'll ever see not having that or on the depth chart between those two guys, but I would be more surprised today if they're not co-number one. I mean, I, I just think everything we've heard at least leads you to believe that 
they have basically two starting tight ends, and Vokalek will be one of them. Yeah, Vokalek is everything that he's been talked up to be, then he very well should be at least a co-number one. I mean, uh, there was talk about him having NFL potential uh, before he even stepped on campus, and that's the reason why Nebraska added a transfer tight end to an already deep tight end room because he's that type of player. And so I mean, they need more production out of that room one way or another. And whoever it is, uh, they, they got to pick that up. And I think Travis Volkolek is the obvious choice to um, take that tight end room to the next level as far as in the receiving game. Yeah, I'm not sure what the depth chart will look like, but I think at the end of the year when you chart you know, total snaps – I, I, I think Vokalek will, will arguably lead that entire group. Um, but I do think that we're going to see a heavy rotation of Vokalek, Stoll, and, and Austin Allen. I think maybe the odd man out might be Kurt Raftall mm-hmm. in that group. Final question. All right. Now that Bo Pliny is once again employed at the D1 level again, do you have a wild tale from his time here? <laughs> I'm sure you do. Yeah. I mean, we got many uh, that we could go with. Um, I know Bo Pelini's first week on the job at Nebraska, he, for whatever reason, heard stories about me that I was some kind of renegade or recruiting reporter, and he called me up and just basically let me know who he was and used some strong language and said, if you cross the line at all, you're effing done. Uh, and so I had a, a couple of nice phone calls like that with Bo where he kind of wanted to be the macho dude in Marcus territory and um, let everybody know he was the boss, but... I mean, there are a lot of good moments with Bo, too. I mean, I, I had probably two or three pretty bad ones. Um, he was extremely paranoid over a lot of things as well, um, you know, and, um, you know, you knew when Bo was in a good mood, you knew when he was in a bad mood, and when he was in a bad mood, you just stayed the heck away from the guy. So, Nate, if you may have told me the story. I can't remember who told it to me, but it's probably you. Uh, but there's this story, you know, he loved cargo shorts. Uh, it was his like favorite thing to wear. Basically, as long as it was seasonably doable, he was going to do it. And so they're just going through the office one day. The coaches are all kind of talking, whatever. And he just like barges in somebody's door and has two sacks from uh, Old Navy. And he's like, buy one, get one on shorts, bros. Or something like that. And, like, he had like six or eight pairs of cargo shorts that he stocked up on. And it explains why those were the only things he wore at every practice. Yeah, I don't think I told you that story, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, I I totally believe it. I do know that he did buy his cargo shorts from Old Navy and Walmart only. Um, I mean, they were not Adidas issue. Yeah, they, I mean, they were not. Or you know, I mean, there was no when when you're making millions of dollars, you know. Old Navy and Walmart aren't necessarily <laughs> the two places you shop, but that's the two places that, that Bo had approved. Uh, it's the image of him holding two stuffed bags yeah. full of cargo shorts. The, Buy uh, one, get one. The Bo Pelini Husker <laughs> Auto Group story, Nate, it's, yeah. not, it's not for airwaves. We, we we're not going to take too long, yeah. and it, there, there's a lot of stuff we probably wouldn't want to say on the radio. But that, that's if you go listen to Nate or I speak, that's a pretty good story we tell at at private events. Yeah, that's that's probably, you know, one of that's got to be right up at the top of one of my best bow stories is uh make a really long story short, he uh he he left one of his dealer cars on uh like uh, 12th and D or 13th and D and, and told the dealership um to go pick it up over a disagreement. Over a disagreement. <laughs> um it, 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 there's a lot of colorful language in, in the story, but yeah, that's I mean that's got to be my one of my best bow stories for sure. All right. Well, that wraps up the mailbag. When we come back, Nate and I are going to close the show with some more recruiting thoughts on what's next for Nebraska as they look on at 2021. You're listening here to the Husker Line show.